We started a series a few weeks back called The Fivefold Revelation of Grace that was given to the Apostle Paul. In Ephesians chapter 3, we see that he states there that, that uh, there was a mystery that was hidden from all ages, from ages past, but it had been revealed to him. And uh, so he makes it known, and he said he wanted to uh, make it known and that uh, through the church, and that God's intent was that through the church that the manifold, the many forms of God's wisdom would be seen, be evident to the, to the principalities and powers, you know, to, to Satan and, and everything he does. When he thinks he's got it all figured out, God just shows his wisdom through the church as we're responding to his grace. And we've looked at chapter 3 of Ephesians, and verse 8, the Apostle Paul says, Although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. So what we're finding out in this fivefold revelation of the grace message that was given to the Apostle Paul, that it really is unsearchable riches. The more we exercise grace, the more we use grace, the more we respond to his grace, we find that it's just, it's, unsearchable riches, that we never get to the end of the, the riches and the blessings that, that come through God's grace that he extends to us. Grace is unmerited favor. We don't deserve it, can't do anything to earn it. God just uh, shows his favor to us and favors. And when we receive it, it's God-given desire and power to do his will. You know, in this day that we're living in, complacency, Apathy is just, uh, and lethargy is, is just gripping people, especially to do the, the work of the Lord. And we need a desire. And sometimes we like, we might respond to it. We might hear the Lord saying something, yeah, I need to do that. I'd like to do that. But it's just kind of like talking about it. We need that desire that moves us from thinking about it and talking about it to doing something about it. And grace, when we receive his grace, it's God-given desire and power to do his will. Power, the ability to do, the capacity to act. That's what power is. The ability to do something. It's the capacity or the authority with which to, to, to do that. So Paul says there in Ephesians 3, he says, Although I am less than, than the least of all God's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God or the many forms of God's wisdom should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we are uncovering this mystery and, and looking at some of these uh, the unsearchable riches and hopefully helping to motivate you to tap into this and begin to experience those riches for yourself. The first thing that we looked at, we, we see that it's five-fold revelation of this grace. The first was saving grace. We see how it, that grace is interpreted and received as saving grace, and then we see the favor of God uh, for his grace and that uh, he declares us to be righteous. And then we see it applied in liberating grace where he, uh, it's the freedom of grace. He sets us free from sin and uh, from the law and we're under grace and 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 see how that that we are, we can uh we we become dead to sin but alive unto god and we can walk in a newness of life as we begin to to re- realize that christ in us the hope of glory 
and that we're in him and he strengthens us and encourages us. Then we saw uh, enabling grace in the form of enabling. He enables the body of Christ. He extends us grace and um, he enables us to, to do the work of the ministry through uh, the, the ministry gifts, the manifestation gifts, and through the motivational gifts. And he's designed each one of us particular and placed us in the body and uh, that grace that he gives to each one of us, his favor and that, uh, that ability to do his will, working together, that enables the body of Christ to do great things for him. And we're learning how to work together. We're learning that uh, iron sharpens iron, right? And various things like that. And then we, uh, so we looked at that and that, took a couple of weeks because we had to get through the ministry gifts, the manifestation gifts, and the motivational gifts, and that's a lot, and we covered it really fast. But today, we want to talk about promising grace. And this is, uh, this is the promise that he gives to us. This is the grace that he gives, and in that grace, there's a promise. And this is so cool. Uh, this, this is the best news on the face of the earth, this part of this grace, promising grace. God promises us that as things become worse and worse in this world and as uh, we approach that appointed time for a tribulation upon the whole earth, seven years of tribulation, that's, it'll be the 70th week of Daniel's, uh, that, that he prophesied in his book. There's 70 weeks of tribulation that was uh, promised and 69 of them have been fulfilled there's one left and that's seven years tribulation all heard about that that's coming up but there's a promise that God's grace that if we respond to that the way he's designed it to uh, us to respond to it that we can have this great escape that we can escape all of that tribulation that's pretty cool He's, we find that in Revelation chapter 3 when he speaks to the Philadelphia church and he says, because you've kept the word of my patience, I also will keep you from that hour of trial that's coming upon the whole world. So it's coming. But there's a promise through his grace, through his favor, that he says that those that respond to him, that live a life, an overcoming life for him, that set ourselves apart as the bride, as his bride, that we can escape all these things that are coming. We want to look at that today. And, you know, uh, this promise includes this, it's, uh, it's a translation. You know, we're going to put off, we're going to get a whole new body. This is some good stuff. And, and see, we've got a problem. It's, uh, I guess it would be like this. Houston, we have a problem. You can't get to heaven in the body that you have. It wasn't designed for it. This body was designed for us to, to, to have here on earth. So we've got to have a change to, to, for all eternity. And that's what's going to take place. So let's look at a few scriptures today on this and find out the promise of uh, that God gives to us as he extends the grace, this promise for things that are yet future, uh, and how we can escape these things that come. How many of you would rather miss all that? How many of you believe it's getting close? I think it's getting real close. Uh, and we need to be paying attention to it. You don't want to be like an ostrich, just put your head in the sand thing is going to, you know, that, that you'll miss it. There's some things that we need to do. First of all, Jesus said uh, in John chapter 14... The first uh, four verses, when he was speaking to the disciples that night that he was talking to them and telling them various things uh, before the Last Supper that we call it, he, he told them, he says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. 
He says, in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. And if you remember the discussion, I'm trying to remember which disciple it was that, that said, uh, Lord, where are you going? We don't know where you're going. <laughs> you're going to leave us as orphans? He said, no. He said, you know, uh, he said, have I been with you all this time and you don't know, you, you know, you don't know me and you don't know what, what, basically what he's saying, what I've been talking about? He was given an example there of like a bridegroom that would go off and prepare the place for the bride. In the Jewish custom, when they were espoused together, uh, engaged, then the, the groom, the bridegroom, would go to his uh, father's house or land or whatever, and uh, he would be allotted some, some property or place or even maybe something in this. Uh, the houses were like, maybe they built compounds, many rooms around, not maybe so much one huge gigantic building, which it could be that also. But, uh, and so the, the, groom would, the bridegroom would go and he would prepare a place for to, to come and get his bride, and then that's where they would go, and then they would have a place. Wouldn't that be nice, ladies? If, uh, some of you that are still looking for, maybe that might be one of your requirements, the guy that you're looking for. Have a house, have a job, <laughs> and get it all ready, have it all paid for. Wouldn't that be great? Have a house paid for, and everything was all prepared. And then the bridegroom would come back and get the, the bride, and then they would go and... Uh, uh, to that place, they would get, then be married, and then they'd have a place. And so Jesus was saying, you know, I'm going, and I'm preparing a place for you, that where I am, that you may be also. And he says, I'm going to come back and get you, and I'm going to take you to be with me forever. And he says, and take you to be with me, that, that you uh, also may be where I am. So that was a promise from the bridegroom to the bride. And that promise, as we unpack this thing, we find out that that takes place before this tribulation time. So there's a promise there. Well, we really don't find out anything else about it until the Apostle Paul, through this revelation of grace, begins to express this and explain it. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verses 50 through 58. A lot of times at funerals we'll read this passage of Scripture. It talks about, you know, that this body puts off this corruptible or this flesh, this type of form, and takes on another form for eternity. And in verse 50 of 1 Corinthians 15, I guess we don't have the scripture we can put up here. Um, is it working? 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50. Paul says, I declare to you, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. So Houston, we got a problem. You can't get there like you are. You've got to have some, a change. He says, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. So here he goes into this mystery of God's grace. And he says, here's part of this mystery also. It includes a promise. And he says, we will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. That's what we have in our nursery. That's our headlines for our nursery. You might not all sleep, but they'll all be changed. <laughs> okay. Okay, so that'll get there eventually. For the believer, for the Christian, death is not... 
it's just a sleep is, is how Paul identifies it. And he says uh, that not everybody's going to, uh, to go by death or by the sleep. He says, but, but we'll all have to be changed. We'll all have to have a change in our body so that we can uh, have, be fashioned for eternity. So he says, we will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. Verse 52, in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. That word changed means uh, transformed. You know, I mean, completely, it's like a metamorphosis, you know, from a caterpillar to a butterfly. I mean, it doesn't even look the same. From a, a grain of wheat into a whole wheat stock, you know, it, it's, a, it's a transformation So he says, in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable, this body that perishes, everybody got that? Must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has uh, has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And we're not under the law anymore, we're under grace. And so it's through our Lord Jesus Christ now we have victory over this death, over separation, eternal separation from God. We have a victory there. And so he goes on to say in verse 58, Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Now, it's interesting. A lot of times they'll truncate this passage of Scripture. They'll cut this last part off. But it goes together with this. And he's telling us, you know, that we've got a problem. We've got to have this perishable body, this this body that's that's, uh, corruptible, that will die and get sick and all that. It has to be put off. And you've got to have a new body how many of you want a new body? Amen. I wonder if we need to get in shape. I wonder if it's going to be like the one we have now, but it's just, you know, it just won't die or anything. Or you think we're going to look better? <laughs> Some people say, you know, they think that everybody's going to look 33 years old because that's how old Jesus was when he died. Although when you read the book of Revelation, it says that he had, uh, you know, his hair was white as snow and all this, you know, different. He looked different as well. So I don't know. But uh, if, if that's the case, you might want to start getting in shape so that <laughs> what you sow, you also reap. Anyway, he said, look at verse 58. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So he's telling here, he says, you know, we've got, we got to have a change. And then he says, he includes in here, he says, in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, we'll be changed. And then he throws in this little sideline here that says, uh, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. That's starting to tie in to this promise of being able to escape All this tribulation. Now, let me just say this. No born-again believer will go through the entire tribulation, but we find believers in the tribulation time up to the middle of the the first three and a half years into the tribulation. That 
last three and a half years of the tribulation is what's known as Jacob's Trouble. And uh, the believers there are, uh, the, the Jews go into that because this whole thing was really allotted out to them anyway. But I'm not sure if it's going to be some people still saved in that time. There's a lot of, I think it's seven times in those last three and a half years it says, and they repented not, and they repented not, and they repented not. So I don't really see a lot of people getting saved when he says seven times, which is the number, you know, the Aramaic number for infinity. They repented not. I don't see a lot of people getting saved in that last three and a half years. It talks about people shaking their fists to God, you know, mad at God because of all this stuff that's going on. Yet it says that there are some believers, which I believe is the, Jew, the Jewish remnant that goes into this last three and a half years. So keep that in mind. But there are some that come up out of this great tribulation that are believers. Now, uh, while we're on this being changed thing, turn to First. Thessalonians chapter 4, let's look at verses 13 through 17, where Paul kind of expands this just a little bit about this being changed thing and about the trumpet sounding and, and all that. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, he says, Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep. Again, those who have died, that we, you know, here in this life. Or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. So that when Jesus comes, or when he comes back at the second coming, which will be at the end of the seven-year tribulation, that's the second coming of Christ. You know, the rapture is not the second coming. That's for the bride at, before this thing st- uh, gets started. And he shouts and, and we go to meet him just like, the, the custom in the wedding, you know, he, after the bridegroom would get the house prepared, he'd come, and that's why the, the bride would always be watching, you know, to see when, he, she didn't know when he was going to come back, you know, when he was going to get this thing finished, and he would come at, you know, kind of at a distance, and he would shout to her, and if she was watching and waiting and listening, she'd hear, and then she'd go out to him, and she would meet him, and they would go back and get, you know the, the wedding would be on and then uh into the house and all the other stuff that's what's going to happen at the beginning of the first of the of the tribulation the first part of the, the seven year before the seven year tribulation gets started everybody with me okay the second coming is at the end of the seven year tribulation when jesus comes back as king of kings and lord of lords we'll come with him okay and you know All eyes will see him, and every knee shall bow, and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord. And and, uh, he comes in that triumphal second coming thing. So a lot of times people get confused, and they think the rapture is the second coming. But uh, it's really not, because he just, he comes and... And we'll see here in in 1 Thessalonians. Verse 14, we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Verse 15, according to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from, uh, will come down from heaven with a loud command with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. 
So do you get the picture now? So he comes back. There's this loud shout. There's a trumpet sound. And so those that are watching and waiting, they go to be with him. There's going to be some that aren't watching and waiting. What happens to them? They don't go. They don't go then. In fact, let's look at uh, on into chapter 5 of 1 Thessalonians. And this is where Paul really begins to make this thing known. Are you with me? 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. So he goes on, he says, Now, brothers, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Now, the day of the Lord, the Bible talks about the Lord's day and the day of the Lord. The Lord's day, it's his day. It's his coronation day when he's crowned and, uh, and celebrated. When we get up there at that time, you know, of when we're, we're caught up together with him, that's the, the Lord's day. But the, the day of the Lord is when he comes and it's wrath, wrath being poured out. And that's going to be this uh, last three and a half years when it's really bad throughout the tribulation time, but especially that last three and a half years. And, and uh, he mentions several times that people won't be expecting it. You know, and it says, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be at, at the coming of the Lord. And because people will just be doing what they always do, eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage until that happens. And, and so Paul's going along with that. And so in, in chapter 5, he says, um, For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. Everybody say, they will not escape. But we're looking for an escape, right? The great escape. That's what we're looking for. That's the promise. Verse 4, But you, brothers are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. Okay? He says, now, you ought to know this. You've been told this. He says, you're not in darkness that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all sons of the light and sons of the day. We need to have a, maybe that's what our men could call them, sons of the light. Sons of the light. Huh? There you go. All right, um, S-O-L, sons of light, soul, light. That's like, that means sun, doesn't it? Okay, all right, let's move on. You are, you are all sons of the light and sons of the day. Look, we do not belong to the night or to the darkness. Now, he's bringing in a point here. Jesus had said in Matthew chapter 24 when he was telling them, he was talking about eating and drinking into the darkness or that type of culture, that type of atmosphere of, you know, the difference in light and darkness. Um, walking in the light means walking in the understanding, walking with God. And in the darkness, that's where all the mischief happens, right? Uh, also in the darkness is where the judgment is, gonna, is going to happen. So he says then, you are all sons of the light, verse 5, sons of the day. We do not belong to the night nor to the darkness or to the darkness. So we don't belong to it, Right? We've been transformed. In Colossians it says we've been rescued. We've been transformed out of, the king, out of darkness into the kingdom of God's dear son. Verse 7. For, um, oh wait, I'm sorry, verse 6. So then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled. So there's going to be some people that, that are asleep. In other words, they're 
uh, they're not really, they're not conscious to what's going on. They're sleeping into this dark season, this darkness uh, of what's going on. They're asleep to the things of God. So he says, uh, so let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation or deliverance through our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise God. He's telling us God doesn't want us who are now redeemed and are of uh, the kingdom of light He doesn't want us to suffer the wrath that's intended for those who have rejected him, the unbelievers and those that are living in this darkness. That wrath is for them. So he doesn't want us to suffer that wrath. That's good, right? Verse 9 again. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that, look here, whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as, in fact, you are doing. Let me look at that again, verse 10. He, he died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. So that means that some believers are going to be asleep and sleep into this darkness. And, and when all this stuff is going on and this um, attitude of, well, being intoxicated with the things of the world and, and being swayed into the things of the world, there will be some believers that are doing that. Do you know any, any Christians who aren't really living for the Lord? They're living for themselves. And maybe, you know, if you didn't really know them, you couldn't tell the difference between them and an unbeliever. I mean, there's some, some unbelievers that are pretty good people. You know, and they, they live a good, good moral life and all that stuff. They're just lost. They've never received Christ. It's not how good you are or how bad you are. You know, it's how good Jesus is. And it's receiving him. And then we're transformed. But if you sleep and you begin to eat and drink with the drunkard, in Matthew 24, he began to talk about that, about a faithful servant, faithful and wise servant, or a fo- foolish and wicked servant who began to eat and drink with the drunkards. And, and uh, to that one, uh, he says, I'll come as a, as a thief in the night. Look at, um, so, but did you notice he says, whether we're awake or asleep, we're going to live together with him. So the promise of eternal life is to the overcoming Christian. Can we say it like that? Those that are preparing for the bride, the bridal company, we'll, we'll put it like that. Or for the slowful a believer who is living more for themselves than for the Lord. We know that they're out there, right? We know that some of them are right here today, right? <laughs> um, I've been there before, have you? I was saved, but I wasn't living like I was saved. You know, but uh, so he says that, uh, you know, for those that uh, they're basically asleep to the things of the Lord. Like when the bridegroom would come, they're not watching and waiting and alert and prepared and, and listening for him. They're sleeping. They're, they've been out partying. They've been out with uh, the unbelievers doing those things, and so they're really not sensitive to the bridegroom when he's going to call. Are you following me? But he says that uh, he died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. 
We're going to spend eternity with him. Some will just get up there a little quicker than the others. Keep following me. You'll see. There's some that he promises. This promise is to escape all of this, tri- this trial, this tribulation that's coming upon the whole world. That's what he says to the Philadelphia church. Because you've kept the word of my patience, you've not denied my name. You've lived for me. He says, I know you have just a little strength. In other words, man, you know, there's things, it gets tough. <laughs> but they hadn't denied his name. They were living for him. He said, I will keep you from that hour of trial that's coming upon the whole world. That's a promise. To some others, not so great. Look at Revelation chapter 3, verse 1, to the Sardis church. The Sardis church, referred to as that which remains. Some say that that's what that name means. I'm not sure exactly where they get that, but maybe just from the, the scriptures. Revelation chapter 3, verse 1, these are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. Now, to every one of these churches, he says, I know your deeds. We're not saved by our deeds. Because whether we're awake or asleep, we're going to live together with him, okay? It's by believing and receiving the Lord Jesus Christ. That's, uh, that's what salvation is a free gift. Ephesians chapter 2 says, For by grace are you saved, through, uh, not, of, uh, not of works, lest any man should boast. So by grace are you saved through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. We saw that in the saving grace when we see his favor. But he knows our deeds. We are rewarded for our deeds. Rewards, salvation is not a reward, it's a gift. A reward is for something that you do, right? Uh, a, a gift is whether, you, you know, it doesn't matter what you do. A gift is, is, is for you. It's based upon the goodness of the giver, A reward is based upon the goodness of the one doing it. So they get that reward. Are you following me? So he says, uh, these are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead or asleep. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. This is to believers. Look at it again. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. You, you say that you're a believer. Well, if you've, if you've received Christ, then we have to go, go on that, you know. I can't judge you for how you're living, but if you've received the Lord... And you know that, and you know for sure that he's the, the son of God, and, and that he died for you. He paid the price for your sin. You, you believe that, and you received him. Then he says, okay, you're my child. But then what happens a lot of times is after that, people go, okay. And it's just like in the natural. We have some rebellious kids, right? They go do their own thing. They don't want to listen. And so there's a price to be paid for that. So he says, um, I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. You're asleep. You're not not really producing any fruit. You're not producing a fruitful spiritual life. Wake up. Wake up. Now, remember back there in Thessalonians where he said, whether you're awake or asleep, you're going to live together with him. But those that are sleeping, they sleep into the night. They sleep on into the night season. In that night season is where the judgment comes. The tribulation time comes. So he says, Wake up, 
It's what he's saying. Strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Obey it and repent. But if you do not wake up, look, look what happens. If you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. He's still going to come. He's still going to get out of, you know, he's gonna, you're going to get caught up into heaven. You're going to put off this corruptible. You're going to be changed. You're going to be fashioned for eternity. But yet, he's coming, and you won't know when he's coming. And those are the ones that go into trip, to the tribulation time. Where do we see them? You know, where are they? Look at Revelation chapter 7. If you're doing a study of the book of Revelation, you find in Revelation chapter 4 that things change, the scene changes, and, and John says that he was caught up. And it's really, he represents the, the bridal uh, company at that point. And, and he says uh, there was a loud sound, and he heard a, a sound as it were a trumpet uh, speaking to him. And uh, he was caught up. And that's where we see, like John in chapter 4 would be, the bridal company before the tribulation time. But here's Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. There's this great multitude. In verse 9 it says, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude. When he says after this, this is after the sealing of the 144,000, which are Messianic Jews that are are sealed and saved out of the, you know, all the different tribes. And so um, they're actually caught up at the, Right after this, at the middle of the, the tribulation, the, after the end of the first three and a half years, and when they're taken up, it says, and the door was shut. In other words, nobody else is getting out. This is it. It's all over but the crying. The rest of it is the last three and a half years, which is the great tribulation, the time of Jacob's trouble. But look, look at this group. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. That's pretty big, right? That no one could count. Keep that in mind. He says, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. Uh, they were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. They, and they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. The only song that they could sing was salvation. All they had was salvation. That's it. They didn't, their deeds, you know, their robes, they had to wash their robes. They, uh, they, were the, they are those that slept and they went into the night season. They went into this tribulation time. Their deeds, they didn't have any deeds to, to, for any rewards. All they had was salvation. Thank God for that, but uh, for all eternity, even their rewards, that's it. They're, you're locked in. This life, you get an opportunity to sow into eternity what you're going to be doing what you do now we'll talk about this next sunday when we talk about ruling and reigning with christ you know the same degree that you rule and reign with christ now in your this life is going to determine the position that you're going to have with him for all eternity and we see that there's some that see that there's there's thrones around his throne that they're in it hey that sounds pretty good to me that's the that's the box office seats you know, that's the orchestra seats where those others are like way out there standing up, you know, and that's the, the cheap seats. So he says, um, <laughs> and they, uh, 
says this, from every tribe, people, language, standing before the throne. And in front of the Lamb, they were wearing these the white robes, and they were holding palm branches, and they were singing salvation. Verse 13. Then one of the elders asked me, one of the elders, which is a church term, this is one of the overcomers, the, believer, the, the bridal company, asked John, he says, um, these in white robes, who are they? And where did they come from? I answered, sir, you know. And he said, these are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. These are ones that have come up out of great tribulation. And they had to wash their robes because their robes were spotted. You've heard me say it before. When you, when you accept Christ and uh, you're saved, he gives you, in a sense, a white robe. It's not spotted. He doesn't go get an old robe and say, see if this fits. Uh, it's like Little League. When I, when I played, you know, uh, we, it was a, it's still in our school, and they kind of kept the uniforms down through the years. You know, they shake one out, and, boy, sometimes the first of the season, they were pretty rank, you know. Try this one on. You know, uh, <laughs> no, it's, it's specifically yours, and, and it's fresh. But how do they get spotted? It, they got spotted because who had, the person that had them on was going to places where they got them soiled and spotted. And uh, so they had to wash them. And the, the blood of the lamb is the only thing that cleanses from sin. So they had sinned is what spotted their robes. Are you following me? These are believers. Can a believer sin? Yes, they do. <laughs> right? And, uh, I mean, even iniquity is simply doing my will rather than God's will. And so you can have some pretty righteous saints, so to speak, but maybe they might even be doing their will. In fact, there were some that came to Jesus, and, and he said, Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. They said, Lord, Lord, we cast out devils in thy name. He said, I never knew you. Depart from me. You were, you were doing your own will. You were doing that. You know, you weren't doing it in my name, you know, in my will and different things. They were doing it in their own way, in their own strength, in their own uh, working for themselves. And so that's sin. Is, uh, iniquity is sin, doing your own thing. John says, if we say we have no sin, we lie and deceive ourselves. So uh, sin happens, right? The thing is, is clean, you know, receiving, uh, asking for forgiveness, receiving forgiveness, turning from that thing, repent, turn from it, and go now into the uh, way of righteousness. And so that's what's, you know, if we judge ourselves, the Bible says, then judge yourself so you won't have to be judged. And we need to do that. Paul said, I die daily. Every day I come before him and I die to my old self. I put off that sin nature. I put on the new nature. Remember, we talked about that in liberating grace, of how that we're to walk in a newness of life. And, and so the bridal company, they're doing that, putting off the old, putting on the new so that, that they're walking in a newness of life. But this other group's not, just doing their own thing. And one part, one passage of Scripture that Jesus is explaining this, he said, you know, uh, so this one group says, ah, oh, my Lord delays his coming. And he began to eat and drink with the drunkard. And all of you, ah, who knows when Jesus is coming. I've been hearing that all my life. What I say to that is if it seemed like it was close back then, it's sure going to be close now. I was telling Charlie a while ago, this January, January the 1st, which is on a Sunday, by the way, um, I will, I'll celebrate 40 years of preaching. Can you believe that? I was a child prodigy. <laughs> uh, I was t- 
my first message was closer to heaven in 77. <laughs> so that was in 1977. It's hard to believe, you know. But uh, uh, how did I get there? What, what was, oh, it doesn't matter how long you've been in, you know, been saved or been doing whatever you've been doing. You need to die to yourself, and you need to say, "I'm going to walk in a newness of life." Yeah. So I've been preaching 40 years, but you know what? I could just say, "You know what? I don't know about this. The Lord's probably not coming back for a while. I'm going to go do this or do that or whatever. I'm going to do something for myself." You know, we get frustrated, right? You ever get frustrated? You don't have to raise your hand. But you get frustrated with other Christians. Sometimes you think, you know, well, I'm tired of this. And, and I just, it doesn't seem like the Lord's blessing me. And all this stuff, the devil comes to lie to you. And watch out because that frustration can get you to being intoxicated to, uh, you know, you're kind of drunk then on the worldly thinking rather than being alert to spiritual thinking. Amen. So um, he says there, this great multitude, it says that they, uh, it said no man can number. And he says that they come up out of great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. They come up out of great tribulation. Now again, it says this great numeral company, no one can number them. Now, see a lot of times, a lot of people say that this company of, is all the believers, everybody that's been saved from the time of, you know, the beginning of the tribulation time, they say everybody's going out. You know, good, the good, the bad, and the ugly. <laughs> They're all going out. And this great numeral company are those that got saved from that time until the middle of the tribulation. Well, if you got a third of the population being killed by comets falling out and another third getting killed over here i mean we know we got what is it six billion or seven billion people is it up to seven now i mean we can count people now right we we can count we know the population you start killing some of that off because of some of the disaster calamities that are taking place through the tribulation time and you get rid of this all believe every believer on the face of the earth that's a that's a little bit that's kind of shrinking this number down so if you took everybody that was left you could still number them right but this group has said that no man can number what's the deal what's the deal remember first thessalonians chapter 4 where paul said the dead in christ shall rise first then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the lord in the air that's the pattern that's the process for getting out, off of this earth. That's the process of getting out of here and putting on that incorruptible, that, that eternity body, you know, and getting rid of this earthly body. So that means that people that we know that are believers that have died from the time of the church started, you know, way back there, they died, they're buried, they're going to be raised first, then we which are alive and are here, we're going to be caught up with them, right? Now, that's the process. Here's the thing. That's why the, the seven churches there that's found in the book of Revelation are very important because each one of those churches have a different attitude that's expressed. And you see different types of, 
like the Laodicean church, you know. They said, oh, you know, we're rich and filled. We have need of nothing. That's where Jesus is on the outside trying to get in. The Sardis church, you know, he says he's going to come to them as a thief in the night. Thyatira, all these different ones have different attitudes except for two churches. The Philadelphia church, nothing against them. Going to keep them from that hour trial. They're, not, they're going to miss every bit of it is what his promise says. The uh, Smyrna church which means that it's like myrrh, which is a form of death. Those are overcoming believers that from the beginning of the church, they lived an overcoming life that if Christ would have come, they would have been in the bridal company. But it wasn't time yet, so they died. They went by the way of the grave. So they'll be caught up in that rank, let's say that, okay, and then that order, because Paul talks about the, you know, the first fruits and Different ones he goes on down through. So they'll be caught up in that order as a bridal company, the dead in Christ. Then the bridal company who are alive and on earth at the time of when Christ comes, they'll be caught up together with them. Okay, you got that? What about those that weren't living the overcoming life and died? They're believers, but they died and they weren't living really for him. They were living more for themselves. You think that'd be quite probably the percentage of... It might be like the 80-20 rule yeah, or less of the people that are really living an overcoming life. They died. They're in the grave. They're going to be caught up, but in their own order. Paul said everyone in their own order. So they've got to wait until those that are alive are getting ready to get caught up and go up and be changed, which is at the end of the first three and a half years. So here you have Christians, believers that had died all of the history of the church, they got to get caught up. And then those who are alive at that time, they get caught up. Again, these are the ones that weren't living for Christ. They were living more for themselves. And that tells you that there's a lot, a lot in that particular company. And so that's what he's talking about here in this, uh, this greater no more company. That's where they, they go up. So we see that they're going into the tribulation. They've got to experience the first three and a half years of the tribulation. I don't know about you, but I want that escape. I don't want to go into any of it. I want what he, what he promises the Philadelphia church. Uh, in fact, in Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, let me read this so you can see where they go up. The first three chapters, John's telling about, um, first he talks about the judge and uh, you know, who's Christ, and, and um, then he talks about these seven churches and ex- expresses their attitudes and what's, what the Lord is saying to them. In verse 4, it says, after this, I looked. And so where in the book, there's a, there's a time change where John had been looking back over the church age and seeing these seven churches and all through time from the beginning of the church age until up until Christ comes at the rapture. He's seeing all this, and he's describing it through the seven churches. It says, after this, he says, I looked. So now he's looking forward. So from chapter 4 on, now he's seeing things yet future. And he says, after this, I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. For the Lord himself shall he send from heaven with a shout with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. And they go through this open door. In fact, when he describes, when Christ is explaining or describing himself to the Philadelphia church, he says that, you know, uh, he holds the keys of David. He says, uh, 
what I open, the door, you know, I hold the keys to the door. I, what I open, no man can shut, and what I shut, no man can open. Because I'm going to open a door for you, and nobody can shut it. If you are part of this bridal company, then I'm going to open the door. Nobody can shut it. You can come through. What I shut, no man can open. When I shut that door, doesn't matter how much maybe some of these other people that's been living for themselves, they're not going through it until he opens that door for them. So in chapter 4, we see the door opening for the bridal company. He says, I heard uh, speaking to me like a trumpet that said, come up here. The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God, the trump of God. Here's that trumpet call that Paul's expressing through 1 Thessalonians 4. He says, at once, that twinkling of an eye, at once I was in the spirit and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, a rainbow resembling an emblem and encircled the throne, surrounding the throne. And it begins to describe all this. Now it's yet future. And he begins to see this picture in heaven. He sees some people there with him. We'll talk about that next Sunday. But I want you to hear this, what Jesus says in Matthew 24. And then we're going to pray. We're going to bring this thing down. We'll talk more about it next week. Are you getting anything out of this? I feel like I'm... I'm at the auction. <laughs> I'm trying to get this in. Uh, is it helping you any as you see this? Okay. Matthew 24, verse 36. Jesus, they ask him, Lord, tell us about the, these things, these times and stuff. In verse 36, he says, No one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying, giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Now, here we go. Two men will be in a field. One will be taken, the other left. Now, I want you to notice that it's talking about like kinds, apples and apples, oranges and oranges. It's not talking about... Believers and unbelievers, it's talking about the same. The word taken is a specific Greek word that's used only here when Jesus is describing this. And it means to, to take for oneself as a bride. Specifically says that. To take to oneself as a bride. One will be taken as a bride, the other left. Two women, then he says, will be grinding with a handmill. One will be taken, the other left. Therefore, keep watch. Keep watch. So he's saying, you know, watch, be alert. You know, watch for the bridegroom. Because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. You must be ready. Revelation 19.7 says the bride hath made herself ready. They're being obedient to the words of Christ. Remember to the Philadelphia church, he says, you've kept the word of my patience. You've not denied my name. In other words, you kept what I said to do. Make yourself ready. You've been patient about it. I know it's been a long time. I didn't know when I was supposed to come. Only the Father knew. I had to be patient also, is what, basically. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know on what day that your Lord will come. Um, verse 44. So you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. 
Who then is the faithful and wise servant? Notice it says faithful. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time or to help and to be a supporting ligament, to be doing your, your job, your motivational gift, your ministry gift, you know, and being a part of the body to help out there. He says, um, verse 46, it will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. I tell you the truth, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. See, there's going to... For all eternity then, there's going to be a position there of reigning with him. Verse 48, but suppose that servant, now it's, they're both servants, have the same Lord. So we're not talking about a believer and an unbeliever here. Many people, uh, they interpret this scripture that way, but he's not talking about that. He uses the same servants, men, women. He's always showing like kind. But he says, suppose that servant is wicked and says to himself, my master is staying away a long time. And he then begins to beat his fellow servants or like, you know, disrespects them and maybe even talks about them and, you know, whatever. Yeah, fine, you know, go ahead and do that. And maybe he's mad at the church. Mad at, maybe he got hurt in the church or he or she. It says, and, um, and he begins to eat and drink with the drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he is not aware of. Listen to this. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Those who, who the hypocrites, those who proclaim or profess that they know God, you know, this supreme being. All religions know a God, but not through Christ. Luke translates that, that he will appoint him a portion with the unbelievers where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's an, that, where he says a portion. The word portion in the Greek means an allotted time. There's no purgatory that you're going to, all right? But these that are alive at that particular time and not watching and waiting for the, the bridegroom to come back, they are allotted a time into that tribulation time. You reap what you sow. You know, people say, well, that can't be. I don't think that's fair. You know, God's no respecter of person. He wouldn't take some out over here and then let the rest of them go into the tribulation. Excuse me, wait a minute. Did you just say he's no respecter of persons? Right. So those that have been living a life for him and devoting themselves to him, he will not respect the person who's been living for themselves, denying and eating and drinking with the drunkard. He's not going to respect them over those that have been living for him and a part of the bride. So, there's going to be these that go into it. So, what are you going to do? You know, it's a choice. Every time that you go to do something, you can just say, you know what? I want to live for Christ. This isn't, I, when I first heard this, I thought, well, forget that. It's like trying to go on a diet with chocolate cake everywhere. <laughs> I can't do that. Forget that. You know, I just said I'd been, uh, this will be 40 years of preaching. You might say, well, I can't do that. I can't be like, Pastor, he's been preaching for 40 years. You know, I've just been saved for four months. So I might as well not even try. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What qualifies you for this bridal company? What do you got to do to do this? He said, I know your deeds. So what's, what's the determining factor? How will someone that gets saved today, and if the Lord comes in an hour, how can they be in the bridal company? And, and Roberta who's living for Jesus, go into bridal company too. How can that all work? Wait a minute. Roberta, man, we know her. She's been around. I think if I'm going to have to cast a vote, I'm going to cast it for, for Roberta. 
I don't know what this other person's going to do. Can that happen? Can that be? You know what it's all based on? Faithfulness. How many times do we see that word faithful? That faithful servant. It doesn't matter the size of your ministry. It's how faithful you are to it. And see, I've got a lot more responsibility than you do. So, you know, I could say, well, hey, you know, I'm preaching and doing this and that, and, you know, and I only have to give 60%. I can take 40% and kind of do what I want to do, and I'm still doing more than, than Jeff's doing. Right? I could say that. Jeff's saying, well, I ain't doing much, but I'm giving it all I got. Now, when Jesus comes back, who's going to go? Jeff's going to go. He's faithful. I'm not faithful. I'm just kind of faithful. Just enough. Like, <laughs> you know, plant that foot and see how far out here I can get, you know. Test God's grace, you know, and get, get a little for me. Wait a minute. That's not how it works. So it's not how big your ministry is or how small it is. It's are you being faithful over what you've been given to do? You see, right now, you might be, you might, your whole thing might be to get to church and, and to, to, be, to overcome the, the discouragement and the opposition that's, that's going on in your life and, and to start to learn how to be faithful in, in your time to the Lord and, and in your talent, your abilities, and, and seeing how God's going to work, you know, use your talent and ability in your finances, being faithful in your finances of giving into ministry. You know, if you're faithful in those things, then, and you're 100% faithful. Maybe that's what God has for it. But, you know, it's like, well, nobody says, I don't know. They just sit in church. That's the only time I ever see them. They, I don't see them doing anything. They're just sitting in church. Well, excuse me. Don't you be judging. You don't know where they are. You don't know what God, the master, is calling them to do. Because I want to tell you something. When you're sitting there, you're encouraging me. <laughs> It amazes me that people come out, you know. <laughs> it's pretty amazing, you know. I mean, that's an encouragement to me. So if nothing else, you're encouraging me. But see, we all have a part. So if you're faithful over that, at that particular, if this is what the season that you're in right now, and you're 100% faithful, you're ready. You're ready. Now, if you come past that, and you're supposed to be doing something else, and you're just kind of sloughing off a little bit, Hmm, better watch out. You're not ready. You're not ready. Are you following me? Faithfulness. Faithful. Can you be faithful? Can you be faithful with what the Lord's called you to do right now? See, every day, it's a checkup from the neck up. <laughs> We've got to sit in here and say, oh boy, what, am, I, am I serving him? Is it his will? That's why Jesus said, when you pray, say, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, not my name. I added that part. Your kingdom come, not my kingdom. Your will be done, not my will. Here on earth, as you've already predetermined it in heaven, you, I'm going to trust in you. Give me this day my daily bread, what I need today. I don't have to worry about tomorrow. I'm not even going to worry about that. I'm going to trust you today. Forgive me. But I'm not going to sit here and try to judge somebody else. Forgive me of where I've come up short and failed you. And help me to be a forgiver also before it even takes place. As I you know, forgive others. 
And we go through that. We walk through that and pray it along that line every day. That puts us back into that mind frame of being alert and checking ourselves out to see where are we in our spiritual walk with the Lord. Am I walking for me or am I walking for him? So oh, I don't know, that's too hard. That's too hard? Really? That's too hard? You want to compare it with going to the cross? <laughs> I mean, it's not even close. All we have to do is just check it out and see, you know what, am I setting myself apart today for him? And you know what? The promise of that, that's his favor that he extends. And he says, if you do that, he said, I'm going to keep you from that hour of trial that's coming on the whole earth. Man, we're going to party. We're going to get out here. We're going to go get in there first. And we're having a marriage celebration. You got to be there. You're the bride. Can't start without you. But what do you want to do? It's totally up to you. Yeah, if you're a child of God, if you've accepted the Lord Jesus Christ, you're going to, hey, you're going to spend eternity with him. Praise God for that. Hey, that's, you know, uh, that's the non-smoking section <laughs> in heaven. You know, I'm talking about being seated with him. Um, so you got that taken care of. But here's the thing. Do you want to jeopardize all eternity for a position of a palm branch and a robe that's been washed to sing a song of salvation where you could be ruling and reigning with him. We'll talk about it next week, sitting on a throne, around his throne. Man, not singing salvation, but worthy is the lamb that was slain, taking the crown off that you would received for what you've done and being able to come and lay it at his feet and saying, worthy is the lamb. I've got this crown, but you're worthy of it in a whole different position. Why? By one simple thing, just examining ourselves. You know, when we receive communion, this has been a good Sunday to receive communion, except we ran out of time. Jesus said, examine yourselves. Examine yourselves. We look over and we see, you know what? Is he still first? I'm going to remember him and what he did. And because he loves me so much, I don't do this because I have to. I do it because I want to. I do it because I love him. And you know what? Things are so easy when you're in love. It's not a drudgery at all. It's so easy when you're in love. If you fall in love with Jesus, I don't have to worry about coming and trying, okay, now how are you doing? I want to see. You got that checklist I gave you? But I want to see how you're doing, see if you're going to make it or not. Huh. Man, if you're in love with him, you don't even know, you don't even realize that you're doing it. It's like, that was it? That was so easy. That was so easy. Let's bow our heads this morning. The first question I have is, are you sure that you are a child of God? Are you sure today that you're a child of God? If you are, why don't you raise your hand and say, yes, pastor, I am. I know that I'm a believer. I've received Jesus as my Savior, I believe he's the son of God. He died for me. He was buried. He rose. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. Yes, I know I'm going to spend eternity with him. Looks like most hands, some of you might have just been a little tired. But if you couldn't raise your hand and you're not certain, and you're not sure today, don't walk out of this place 
This is not Las Vegas. You're not gambling here. Hey, and this is real. This is the real deal. If you're not sure that you're a child of God, if you couldn't raise your hand and you still have question marks, why don't you just raise it now, right where you are? We want to pray with you. Say, Pastor, will you pray for me? Because I'm not sure that I'm saved. I'm not sure that I am a, a child of God. I'm not sure that I'm going to spend eternity with anybody here this morning. Anybody? Okay, amen. We're just we're going to come pray with you. Anybody else this morning? Praise God for that. The angels are rejoicing right there. Somebody's making a decision for eternity. Anybody else? You're not sure. And let me ask you this question. If you are a child of God, how's that working out for you? What are you doing with that? If that trumpet sounded right now, right now, would you be gone or would you be left to go into the tribulation? You see, when that trumpet sounds, they're at for the rapture at the, before the tribulation after that man I mean things fall apart things fall apart fast not a pretty place you say well you know I'll, I'll then that's when I'm going to I'll know it's kind of getting close then that's when I'll really turn my life over if you can't stand for Christ now how are you going to stand for Christ then you can't take a stand for him now when things are easy what are you going to do when you're being threatened When you're public enemy number one, lots of stuff will go in. We're not going to go into all the stuff. I'm going to try to scare you today, but I, I hope that you know that that's not someplace you want to be. And if you're not sure today that if that trumpet would sound that you'd be in that bridal company, I challenge you. I challenge you to have a little talk with Jesus. Find out what you need to be doing and then be faithful to that. That one thing. I mean, he doesn't give us more than we can bear. You know, he might just say, hey, just show up. <laughs> just show up. <laughs> just show up. It's okay. You get that down. He give you, if you're faithful over a few things, he makes you rule over many things. Don't worry about it. You just be faithful. He said, maybe it's just starting to say, you know what? I'm, I'm going to be I'm going to be at church every time the doors are open. I'm going to be there. I'm going to be there, not so much just for me, but I'm going to be there to let Jesus know I love him, that it's about him. And be faithful in our, our love relationship with him and, and the talent that he's given you. Find out how you can use that talent for his kingdom. And then be faithful in using that talent for the kingdom. Have you given your finances to him? Are you faithful in that? Are you trust? That's just simply saying, I trust you, Lord. I love you. Now, I, Sandy and I have been married 43 years. So, I mean, we've been doing this a few years now. We don't have separate bank accounts, you know? I just said, here, honey. And she said, you know, what's yours is mine, and what's mine is mine. <laughs> But that's all right, because that's kind of what Jesus does. What's his is his, and what's ours is his, really. But it shows I trust, you know, we trust him. I trust her. I'm not worried. What would you do with that? You know, you hiding that money? You doing something with that? You know, I mean, I don't even think about it. 
Are you trusting him with your finances? Are you trusting him with your life and with giving you, making decisions and, and trying to find out what you can do for him? What was it John Kennedy said? Ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. I think we ought to change that around. Don't ask what the kingdom can do for you. Don't ask what Jesus can do for you. Ask what you can do for Jesus. You know, that's what we need to be asking. Lord, what can I do for you today? When you love somebody, you want to serve. Lord, what can I do for you today? What can I help you with? You know, I walk in the back, back there, and Eddie and Gilbert and Tim, you know, Daryl, the guys just mean, Pastor, what, what do you need me to do for you? I'm cool. I'm fine. You, know, you need some water? What, what can I do for you? Man, I'm like, wow. God makes me feel good. Can you imagine going to Jesus? Lord, Lord, what do you want me to Can I do something for you today? Whatever it is. I'm yours. You name it. What can I do for you? Wow. He says, yeah. That's, that's my child right there. Yeah. And be faithful to it. I don't want you to get the wrong idea. This thing is not a legalistic deal. Not trying to go on some rigid spiritual diet. It's really a love relationship. You fall in love with Jesus, you don't have to worry about it. You don't need to worry about it. You don't need to lose any sleep about it. You know that when that trumpet sounds, you'll be hearing it. You'll be gone. We'll all be up there excited together. Wow. Amen. Why don't you stand this morning? Let me pray with you. Man, oh man. I might not make 40 years down here preaching. I might be gone before, before that time comes. Amen. That's fine with me. I'm not looking for a hole in the ground. I'm looking for a hole in the sky. <laughs> Amen. Praise God. Father, your grace really is amazing. Thank, us that, thank you that, that you love each one of us just like we're the only ones to love. Father, I pray that you would help each one of us to fall in love with you, that we have a love relationship with Jesus, that as the bride we make ourselves ready. And the way we do that is... Make sure we're being faithful of where you placed us and what you called us to do. We need to put off ourself, our old nature, our selfish part of us, and put on that new creation. We were, we're not our own, your word says. We've been bought with a price. So it's not about us. It's really about you, about your kingdom. Thank you that you're not demanding. You love us. And you've designed us, and what you have for us is not too difficult for us. It really comes natural when we really begin to get into the flow because you've designed us for it, and you give us the grace, the God-given desire, and the power to do that. You give us the very ability to do it when we just simply say, yes, I'm going to do it. Your word says if we would draw near to you, you draw near to us. We need to take, You've already made the first step, coming and laying down your life for us. This morning, we want to draw near to you. Why don't you just tell him this morning, Lord, I'm drawing near to you. I'm taking that step. I'm, I'm stepping closer to you than what I was when I came in this place this morning. I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. I give myself to you afresh and anew. And just raise your hand to him this morning and just say, Lord, I love you. I love you. Hallelujah. Father, 
As we walk out of this place today, that's we're walking into the field of labor. This is just the base of operation. This is our locker, our halftime talk. We're getting ready to go out and hit the field and win the lost, develop the saved, see a need and meet it, find a hurt and heal it. Lord, let us be faithful to you and to what you called us to do. Father, when that trumpet sounds, I have no doubt that the next thing we're going to know is we're with you in, in, in heaven. And so, Father, I thank you. I thank you for this church. I thank you for this people. Father, I thank you for their readiness. Just as it was shown today as we had a need for a, a family and, and people just responded, Father, and it was, it was met. Lord, that's what you, you see and that's what you like and that's what our, that you know that we're trusting you. So, Father, bless this congregation. Bless every business and every household that's here, Father. Let them prosper, Father, and be in health even as their soul prospers. Father, I give you praise now and thank you for this church and for each person that's here now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Go and have a great week. Amen. See you Wednesday night.